Turn your Bibles this morning to Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 9, verse 23. I've been doing a series the last few weeks called I Follow. And it's a series built on the premise that we don't just believe in Jesus, but we do what? Yeah, we follow Him. We follow His example. We follow His teachings. It's not just about Christianity. It's not just about information in our minds, but it's about a lifestyle of following Christ. This will conclude the series. You can pick them up online. But look at our verse, our text in this series, Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Jesus said to all, He said, If anyone would come after me, let him, yeah, let him deny himself and take up his, how often? Daily. Take up his cross daily to do what? follow Him. Well, this is what we've been talking about. I follow. Uh, the sense is, a couple of weeks ago, we looked at the, uh, the, the phrase, deny yourself. In other words, say no to yourself, built on the premise that I can't say yes to Jesus until I say no to me. In other words, I'm not going to do something He's asked me to do. I'm not going to avoid things until I learn to say no to myself. It's a powerful concept. That's why we've been talking about fasting. For 21 days in this month, we have been encouraging people to fast from something. To literally say no, whether it's a food fast. I'm doing a Daniel fast, my wife and I, for 21 days. Daniel chapter 1. We're not eating meat and sweets and caffeine, sugar, all those kind of things. But literally learning to say no to yourself. Because here's what I know. If I can say no to a cupcake or if I can say no to a dessert, it's easier to say no to pornography when it pops up on my computer screen. If I can learn to say no to, let's say, some natural desire to some form of pleasure, then when someone tries to seduce me, when someone tries to pull me off the path, guess what I can say to them? Yeah, because I have learned to kind of put my spirit up and my flesh down. So one more week to go. I hope you'll join us in that. Uh, tonight we're going to do that special time of prayer here at the church at 6 o'clock. Now, last week we, the message was called, I Care. And it was built from Isaiah 58, if you were here. You know that Isaiah 58 talks about fasting, but it basically says, listen, what matters is not just that you do without food. What matters is that you care about people as a follower of Christ. We saw last week that God was concerned how we pe treat people that are poor and needy, that God's concerned how we treat our enemies. Anybody have any enemies? People you don't like? Come on, people that don't like you. Uh, how are we supposed to treat them as Christian people? We talked about that last week. We talked about treating people that are spiritually sick. And uh, lastly, we talked about how we treat our own family. Well, that was last the last couple of weeks. This morning, I want to look at that phrase in verse 23, take up your cross daily and follow me. Now, what in the world does that mean, take up your cross? There's a lot of words that we use in Christianity that are a bit abstract. We can say them all the time, but don't really know what they mean. For example, the word hallelujah. I bet you if you've been a Christian any length of time, you've probably said it, but many of us don't have a clue what the word really means. Well, I think this idea of taking up your cross is like that. And we're going to kind of explore it today and get into it. But I want to set the stage with a, a song from an old movie. Remember Sister Act, Whoopi Goldberg singing that song, I Will Follow Him. Now, we're going to kind of start there and look at that. And to take a peek, Whoopi is singing to the Pope. So take a peek at this, and then we'll be in the Bible together.
Get her to lead the choir at church. What do you think? Where's Pastor Nick? Do we have anybody on our worship team that can do that? Okay. Now think about the song she was singing. Here's what she said. I will follow him. Now who's she talking about? Now forget Whoopi just a second. I will follow him. I'll follow him wherever he may go. Really? What if he asked you to... Uh, uh, take a year off work and just go serve on the mission field somewhere, what would you say to that? What if he asked you to take your some vacation time and go help at the homeless shelter? I'll follow him wherever he may go. Near him I'll always be, for nothing can keep me away. Now, how many know that all sounds real good in church, but that's kind of hard to live out every day? Do you find that in your Christian life? It's much easier to sing about it on Sunday than doing what the Lord would have you do on Monday. Because that's the essence of the song, is following him. A little funny story on the preacher here. Oh, I guess it was last week. I have got this, one of my favorite foods are a candied jalapeno. How many like jalapenos in the room? Let me see your hand here. Yeah, have you ever had a candied jalapeno? It's kind of hot, but it's sweet. I had lost track of where to get them, and it's probably been six months before I had gotten any. And I found a store that was selling some. And just before I went to the store, I popped in the gas station. There's a friend of mine goes to our church, and we're just kind of visiting and talking. He's washing his truck. Well, off I go to get my jalapenos, and I heard this little, it was kind of an idea. You know, you don't know if some ideas are from the Lord or if they're just some crazy idea circulating around. 
But this little thought came in my head after I'd bought two jars because, I mean, I needed one for myself, but I needed a backup jar to have there. You understand what I'm talking about? Well, as I'm driving back to the gas station, this little voice says, give him one of those jars of those jalapenos. Well, naturally, I said, get away from me. These are my jalapenos. But at some point, I was smart enough to realize that's the Holy Spirit kind of nudge me in something here. And then as I was going down the road, I thought, I sure hope he's done and he's gone. But lo and behold, he was still there. And just as I got there putting some gas in it, I'm kind of looking at him now, and I'm seeing if he's going to drive away. Well, I get done. At the same time he gets done, so I pulled right up to him, and I gave him one of my jar of jalapenos. But I want to tell you, it was a little struggle to follow Jesus with some silly $4 jar of pickles. Are, are you understanding me this morning? So when Whoopi says, I'll follow him wherever he may want to go, I want to say, oh, really? Because in the real world of Christianity, it's difficult sometimes to take up your cross and follow him. Tell your neighbor this is going to be good this morning. Let's explore this idea this morning. What in the world is Jesus talking about when he says, take up your cross daily? Now, when we talk of the, about the cross, you probably think of something like this. And I'm sure you have a cross maybe in your house, but one in my little church pulpit. Today, I may have a cross hanging on the wall in your house. Let me see your hand. Come on now, I bet you most everybody does somewhere. Well, it is in some level a statement of your faith. You know, how many have a little statue of Buddha? Let me see your hands this morning. Okay, no Buddha statues. You can see that at the Chinese restaurant. You got a cross because you're a Christian, but you're also a decorator, and it fits on the wall, and somebody gave it to you. Maybe when you think of the cross, you think of a, you know, a cross that you might wear. Maybe it's a very special cross somebody gave to you, or, or maybe it's just kind of bling. What do you think? Maybe if you want to pray the exorcist, you know, it's kind of big and it's kind of shiny. But this is a cross that you wear. The cross Jesus was talking about is not this and it's not this. It was a different kind of cross. Because when Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me, he had something very specific in mind. And this is what we're going to talk about today to try to understand what Jesus was talking about when he said, take up your cross and follow me. I'm going to ask you today, is the cross on your shoulder? I'm going to ask you today, do you have a blister because it's not there very often, or has it become a callus because you have lived a life in such a fashion that you're following Christ? Now, the cross in the Bible era, it could be one of many things. One, it could be just a pole that was stuck in the ground. It was clearly a place of crucifixion. It was a place of violent execution. It's no way around it. It could have just been a pole stuck in the ground. Maybe if you can imagine a pole that long, and they would literally impale the person on the cross, hands and feet. Uh, likely it was a couple posts made easier. Maybe it was in the form of a T where they would put their hands on it and nail their feet there. Maybe it was in the form of an X. Again, crucifixion. Likely at some point it evolved into what we see uh, on our stage, a cross. Now, when this cross was first practiced by the Assyrians, some seven, eight hundred years before Jesus was on the scene, these cultures found that the, the violence of the cross in terms of a tool of execution, uh, it worked well. It worked well to control people because of the fear of the horrible death. It was not a modern-day uh, sentencing and capital punishment where there's drugs or gas or something given that typically death is very quick and moderately painless. In this case, you might hang on the cross all day. You wouldn't just die from the wounds. Maybe the blood would stop, but, but you would die because you couldn't hold your, pull yourself up to get breath. Remember, they broke the legs of the criminals when Jesus was on the cross. It was, it was a violent form of execution. It was followed not only by the Assyrians, the Persians, the Greeks, the Carthaginians, and lastly, the Romans had perfected it to control the population through the violence of this execution. The cross was intended to be very violent and very painful. 
And when you hear the phrase, take up your cross, in Jesus' era, likely this center part, the horizontal beam on the cross, would be there when you were sentenced in front of the governor or the judge. And you would have to carry that horizontal beam in front of a jeering crowd, through the crowd of people, up to wherever you were going to be crucified. So that's kind of the picture of the cross in Jesus' day. But what did he mean when he said to his disciples and his followers, I want you to take up your cross? Now, if I could say it simply this way, it means to find out what He wants you to do and do it every day. Let me say it again. When the Bible speaks of you and I taking up our cross, He simply means that He wants us to find out what He wants us to do and do it every day. Now, I mean, that's big decisions in life, and it's small decisions. Last week I shared one of the bigger sacrifices I ever made as a Christian when I got out of the Navy, I knew I was called to go in ministry. The next question was, where was I going to be trained and where was I going to live? I really wanted to live with my family there in Mississippi. I just, I'd been gone to the Navy four years. That's where I wanted to call home. But I knew in my heart of hearts that God was calling me to go back to California, to go to school, to be trained, to serve Him. And I want to tell you, it's one of the hardest things that I have ever done in my life, looking at my grandmother's eyes, seeing her tears, looking at the anger in my grandfather's face for not understanding what I was doing, what has happened to this little boy, and my poor wifey, when she came along, got some, some uh, they didn't treat Linnell nice sometimes because it was her fault that I left. See, they thought that I left because I was after a girl, but I left because I was after Jesus. The girl was just the benefit of being over there. Are you with me? Now, that's, that's one type of taking up your cross. This week, we've been fasting. Oh, actually, we've been fasting several weeks from meat, and Linnell decided to cook Rebecca a, just a normal meal, and she cooked this piece of chicken. I'm fasting from meat now. It's about that thick. It is char-grilled, just perfect. And we're eating that, and Rebecca says, Can you cut this up for me? And I want to tell you, something inside said, I want a bite. Nobody will know. I'll just sneak one. How many know that's a cross? How many know when you have to forgive someone that has hurt you? How many know that's a cross to bear as a Christian? How many know for the Christian husband, sometimes marriage is not all it's, you know, you hoped it would be. Sometimes there's friction and fighting, and you read in the Bible, husbands love your wife as Christ loved the church. Can I tell you, that's a cross. And the choices we make when these crosses are presented to us, we can drop it on the floor and walk away, or we can pick it up and we can walk forwards in the will of God doing what He's called us to do. And I want to encourage you this morning to see that's what the cross is. It's something about carrying the will of God. It's not just singing like whoopee, but it's willing to do whatever I have to, even if it involves a bit of sacrifice in life. Now, Galatians 2.20, Paul picks up this theme. Galatians 2.20 says that I have been... Think about that. Say it with me. I have been crucified with Christ. Now, what in the world does that mean? Nevertheless, yet I live... But not I, but Christ lives in me. So somehow I am nailed to this cross that is my will, my desires, me, and I want to put Christ first in my life. He went even further when he said, 1 Corinthians 15, 31, give that jalapeno jar away because you die daily. Now, I don't know about you, but I have this little selfish side of me that just kind of wants to do my own thing sometimes. How about you? But the journey for the believer, listen, I die daily. Now, with that kind of background that we've talked about, it's a challenging message this morning. You want something a little lighter, come back in a couple of weeks. Um, because really, why should a pastor really care about uh, what it's going to be like when you stand before God on Judgment Day? I mean, why should a pastor care if you wasted your life or if you used it? 
Why should a pastor care enough to tell you the truth when the rest of the world is lying about what the future is going to be like? You can go to lots of places and hear a watered-down gospel, but I want to take just a few minutes this morning, as I've done these last few weeks, to challenge you to step up the level of the life you're living because you're not just a believer who's laid hold of some biblical information. How many know you're a follower of Jesus Christ with a cross on your shoulder? Come on, give the Lord a big hand today. We are following Him wherever He would lead us in our life. Now, this morning, I want to give you some examples of this and make it real personal. I want to talk about Peter. Because Peter was right there. When Jesus told this crowd of people, I want you to take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me, Peter's right there in the midst of that. He's there in beforehand when Jesus is with crowds of people and they're being healed. He's after this statement in the transfiguration where the glory of God comes. Peter's caught up right in the middle of this thing. But there's three crosses, if I can use that word this morning, three crosses that Jesus asked Peter to bear. One was the cross of change. How many know the cross of change is oftentimes difficult for us? When, you know, I want both jars, and the Lord said, you can have one, but I want you to do something else with the other one. How many know the cross of change can be a challenge to our life? The second cross that we'll talk about is the cross of worldliness. Without a doubt, one of the greatest temptations that you and I face as people that live in America is the temptation to love money and things more than we love God. And can I tell you, it is a test that Simon Peter faced. And lastly, there's a test of fear that Simon Peter faced. How many know fear can stop you from following the Lord? I mean, we may want to, we may want to put off a front that we're big, strong supermen and superwomen, but can I tell you, there's a fear that if you're not careful, the devil will literally control your life with. And we've all got areas that we're weak with. We've all got areas that we struggle with. But I want to explore the Scriptures this morning, and I want you to see it through the eyes of Simon Peter and the challenge that God gave to him in three different circumstances that would he take up a cross and continue to follow him to please the Lord, or would he drop it and go a different direction? Now, look with me this morning, Matthew chapter 16. Let's begin there. And I want to ask you this question. Matthew 16, verse 21 What do you do when God wants to change something in your life? In other words, what do you do when there's an attitude, there's a a priority, uh, there's a value, there's something inside you, and God says, I want to take you to a different place. I want you to be a different person. Now, I would imagine that most of you came to Christ in a similar way that I did. I I became a Christian at 19. I was raised in church all my life, but I committed my life to Christ in a serious way when I was 19 years of age. And I didn't do it because I had some, you know, uh, some realization of the greatness of God. I had some realization of, you know, the needs of humanity and, and the theological ramifications. No, listen, I came to the cross. I came to Christ because I was empty inside. Now, I was 19. The world was on a string for me. Uh, I was a- very athletic. I was, went to college on a scholarship. I always had a girlfriend. I always had a date. Uh, I had a new car my dad give, had given me for graduation. I was the life of the party. I was, I, I was it for everything. But the problem is you have to drink at night to fill a hole inside you, and you wake up the next morning and the hole's still there because there's a hole in the bottom of the bucket. And I kind of reached a place early in life where I tried to fill it with the world and it just wasn't making me happy. And when someone told me that there was more than just going to church, but if you would give your life to Christ in a real way, He would change your life and He would give you the joy and peace that you're searching for in life, I grabbed a hold of it. And I want to tell you, Jesus changed me. I had no idea there was a cross involved. I had no idea that at some point I would have to make a sacrifice. I had no idea that one day I would walk away from my family, not because I didn't love them, but because there was a higher calling in my life. 
And I would imagine that most of us in this room have come to Christ in a similar set of circumstances, that you became aware of a need you had, and you came to Jesus because you need to have that need met. How many can say amen to that? But once you get there, the Lord wants something else of your life, and sooner or later it's going to cross with an attitude or a value that you have. Now take a peek, Matthew 16, verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he had to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, scribes, and be what? Killed, but on the third day be raised. Now, Simon Peter is listening to these words. It's Matthew 16. You would think after two-thirds of the gospel presentation or the life of Christ is over, Peter would have got it already, but he doesn't. Peter took him aside, verse 22, and Peter began to rebuke him. Can you imagine rebuking Christ? And said, far be it from you, Lord, this is not going to happen to you. Now, can I suggest to you, Jesus and Peter had different agendas. Jesus wanted to go this way, and Peter wanted to go that way. Here was the problem. Peter was a Jewish person. He lived under Roman dictators in Roman rule all of his life. Uh, these Jews were supposed to be one of the greatest nations on earth. They were the people of God. And they had been watched over and had all these promises. But they had for all of their lives and decades and decades lived under the thumb of the Roman. And they wanted what every person that lives on this earth that's under an oppressive regime wants. They wanted freedom. They wanted what the people of Cuba had wanted for decades. They wanted what the poor people that live in Venezuela now with this crazy Chavez man that keeps gaining more and more dictatorial powers over the people. They wanted to be free. They wanted the foot off their back and the Roman people, the ones that were doing it. And Peter thought Jesus was the one to do it, that he could come in the name of God and he could basically make life better for him. Because after all, when Peter started to follow Jesus, all Jesus asked him to do was to leave his fishing business and follow him. And you know what he did? He dropped his nets. And that was a sacrifice, but now Jesus is going a little bit deeper. So Peter says, no way, Lord, that's not going to happen in my life. But what would you do if, if in your prayer time and you're planning your year and all that, it comes you're thinking about vacation time and uh, you had a tradition, you go to Florida, wherever you may go for vacation. What would you do is if in your kind of family prayer time and you're thinking about it, you kind of got this nudge from the Holy Spirit as He wants you to to give him your vacation and go serve at the homeless shelter for a couple of weeks rather than go to Florida. I wonder what you would say. I know what your kids would say, but I wonder what you would say. Because this is what we're talking about. When something God asks us to do crosses our will. And Peter rebukes the Lord, and then Jesus said these amazing words, Get behind me, Satan. Now, it's not because Peter was demon-possessed. But it was because Peter, just in his flesh, was saying words that Christ knew could have got him off path. And, and Jesus recognized that it was the devil speaking. And he said, you're a hindrance to me, for you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but you're setting your mind on the things of man. Now, if you don't hear anything else today, I want you to take this home with you. Sometimes we set our minds on the things of man. But God has a different plan for us. But what we have to do is we have to alter ourselves. We have to say no to the piece of chicken. Come on. We have to say yes to a life of purity. We have to say yes to a life of giving. We have to say yes to a life of serving and say no to something. And when the Christian message comes to you, it can be met with opposition. When that Gideon shared his testimony with me that changed my life about what Christ can do, he didn't say anything about me ever giving any of my money or anything. All he said was Jesus could make your life better. And somebody said, but there's a cross that comes up. It's not a cross you wear, but it's a cross that you will bear. And sometimes people are unwilling to change for Jesus. 
It's like in his own way, Peter had for most of his life, or with Christ, walked at some level with a cross on his shoulders. But now it was time for a change, and he was going to see if he would do it. Well, Peter passed the test, I'm glad to say. I want you to look in John chapter 6, verse 60. You see, there are some people that won't make that change. There's some people that are unwilling to make the change. And as Jesus is talking about the bread of life, verse 60, many of his disciples said, it's hard to understand. Now, Jesus basically, the bread of life. In other words, I am the only bread that gives true life. I'm the only way you'll get to heaven. I'm the source of true life. But he said it in such a way. Notice now, the disciples said, look at verse 60. This is not the crowd. This is not the average person. This is a follower, a disciple, and said, it's very hard to understand. How can anyone accept this? Now, mind you, they have walked with Jesus. These are the disciples, and they followed him up to this point. How can anyone accept what you are saying? And look at verse 66. At this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. Many of his disciples said, the cross is too difficult to bear. I'm not going to go that way. And look at this amazing thing, verse 67. Jesus turned to the twelve and said, are you going to leave also? And Simon Peter looked to him, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. And what Peter said, listen, other people may walk away from this, but I realize this is a big deal. This is what life is all about, and I'm going to follow you with all my heart. Aren't you glad Peter passed that test? And you know what? How many know if Peter can do it, you and I can do it as well. But the challenge is, when the cross of change comes to you, when God asks you to do something that is uncomfortable, inconvenient, or will cost you something, what will you do? I challenge you, in American Christianity, the American gospel is a gospel that's by and large void of any sacrifice. It's simply about Jesus being Santa Claus, giving to you now and especially in the life to come. But can I tell you, there is more to that. Because Jesus said, if you want to follow me, put that cross on your shoulders and let's get going. And I promise you this, I have never regretted the path that I've taken in life. Every time I've picked up the cross, I've always been glad I did. Come on, someone give the Lord a big hand this morning. Look with me now. Go to Matthew chapter 6. It's not only a cross of change, but now I think the greatest challenge for the American church, the cross of worldliness. You see, this cross will test our priorities. This cross will make us ask the question, what's more important to us, spiritual things or a jar of jalapenos? What's more important to us? Spiritual things are worldly possessions. Now listen, do we love the things of this world more than we love the things of God? Now, virtually I could guarantee you this. Every one of us would say, I love the things of God more. But let me tell you how you know, how it's revealed to you what you love more, God or the things of this world. When God asks you to do something with your money that you had other plans for, that, my friend, what you do with that determines whether you love God more than you love money. Come on, somebody say amen this morning. And I want to be real, very real with you this morning because the same challenges you face in life are the same challenges I face in life. I remember this has been several years ago now, probably seven or eight years ago. It was Christmas time, and we were a little tight at Christmas, and someone had given me an unexpected $100. I mean, that's a blessing. Now, $100, unfortunately, won't get you buy you as much today as it used to, 
But $100 is still $100. And as soon as I got that, I started thinking about the catalogs that I had accumulated and the things that I wanted for Christmas. I'm with a group of preachers that day, and guess what they're saying that day? One of the preachers is telling about his life and about someone losing their job and their kids have all these special needs. And I heard the Holy Spirit say to me, I want you to give him that $100. And you know what I said? Get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan, for you value not the things of this world. But come on, are you with me? And I want to tell you, I went for several days battling over a piece of paper that today is worth about 80 bucks because simply it represented something that I wanted to do. And I want to challenge you this morning because I care about your soul and I want to see you stand before God and God be pleased with you because the greatest temptation I believe for the American believer is the love of money that's a, a root of all evil and it can pull you away in your faith to God. Matthew 6, 24, listen to what Jesus said. Jesus said, no man can serve two masters. Now, the first master is Jesus. The second is material things. For you will either hate the one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. And say it with me what it says. You cannot serve God and money. You cannot serve God and possessions. It didn't say it will be difficult. Jesus said, you can't do it. Now, let me help you, and I want to ask that you may just open your heart. What do we do with money and possessions is a spiritual test. It reveals what we love most. If I spend most of my time making money and the rest of my time spending it on things I want, I probably love money more than God. You're, you're real quiet, but it, it, it's real this morning. If I spend most of my time making money and the rest of my time spending it on what I want, I probably love money more than God. If I'm not willing to give God a substantial part of what I have, I may love money more than God. That's why tithing is so important because it's just a small spiritual test. Now, listen, I'm just like you. I, I, I love possessions and things. Anybody willing to stick your hand up and say, I do too? I'm going to be the first to do it because I do. I like the things of this world. I got my new turkey hunting magazine in the mail yesterday. It was the discount place uh, from Midwest Turkey Supply or something. And I went to, I've got it out of the mailbox on the way to church last night. I was so intrigued on the first page that I saw something that I really wanted. I pulled off the road on the way to church to see if they had it in my size. Now, listen, thank God for turkey shirts and turkey vests and all those things. But, but here's where the dilemma comes. Listen, I hope you have enough money to buy every gadget you want in your life. But when the missionary comes next week from Haiti and you're challenged to give a sacrificial offering, I hope you got enough money for the missionary and the turkey vest. But if you don't have enough money for both, where will you put your money? Because that reveals where your heart is. Punch your neighbor and say, he's preaching pretty good this morning. It's right, but it's tight. That reveals where your heart is. Look at Mark chapter 10, because I want you to hear this this morning. What you do with material things can affect your eternal destiny. What material things have to play in your life? Look at Mark chapter 10, verse 21. Jesus is now talking to a rich man about eternal life. And would you agree with me that there's nothing more important than that conversation? In verse 21, Jesus said, There is still one thing you haven't done. Now, here's a guy, if you know the story, if you were to go back, you would see that this story, Jesus has talked to this man about the way he's lived his life. Here's this guy come up to Jesus, and he says, Jesus, what must I do to have eternal life? You know the story, Jesus goes through, you know, the commandments, and he said, I've obeyed all these from my youth, which simply means here's a guy that's walked with a cross all of his days on his life. 
But notice what happens. Jesus looks into his heart and says, there is still one thing you haven't done. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and then come and... And guess what the man did? Now, he heard that, mind you. He had lived all his life. I don't know how old he was, but let's kind of imagine, you know, maybe he's, say, 20 years of age. He was raised in the things of God. He was raised in the temple. He was raised in the Torah. He knew the commandments. He'd done all the religious things. If you looked at him, I guarantee you he was a good church member. He brought his Bible to church. He did this. He did that. But then Jesus saw his heart, and this says, you one thing you're missing. And he stopped right there, and you know what he did? He said, that's too much. I can't do that because I love my things too much. Listen to what Jesus said now. This can keep you out of heaven, friend. At this, the man's face fell and he went away sad. Why? Because, or maybe more, more accurately, his possessions had him. Jesus looked around and said to the disciples, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. In verse 28, Peter began to speak up. Now, this is pretty incredible. Peter passed this test. Peter says, we have given up everything to follow you. Now, I doubt the Lord will ever ask you to do what He has to do this man. I doubt the Lord will ever ask you to give up everything to follow Him. But here's my question. If He did, what would you do? If I can't give somebody a jar of jalapenos that costs four bucks that I can go get another one, how I many know when it really comes to something serious, I may drop my cross then? See, this is one of the great challenges of our day because of the snare that the world puts on us. Peter passed the test. The rich man failed it. Don't let the love of money ruin your spiritual life. Let me say it again. Don't let the love of money ruin your spiritual life. Don't let anything get in front of the Lord. Come on, give the Lord a good hand this morning. Luke chapter 22. Let's, uh, we're we're going to close here. Luke 22. This is the cross of fear. Now, the cross of fear is an interesting animal. This cross of fear will keep us from following Jesus when we're afraid we might have to make some sacrifice, suffer, or God forbid, even die. Now, let me say it again. This cross of fear is real. When you and I talk about sacrificing or suffering for Christ, it is, I promise you, minimal in America today. It might be a bump in the road for you. But I want to tell you, it's a price to pay if you're, if you're a Muslim living in a land where Sharia law governs your life, and you've come to Christ. Someone shares their faith with you, with this Muslim, and they say, if you will take up this cross and follow Jesus, He'll give you eternal life. He will forgive your sins. He'll do for you what Allah cannot do. This person enjoins a Christian life, and the waters of baptism are in front of them. It's hard to get someone in America baptized because they don't want to get their hair wet. But in a Muslim nation... If you get baptized, your family is around. They have an obligation under the Islamic law to either cause you to turn back to the Islamic faith or to take your life. So your own family would kill you if you stepped in the water. So when they step in the waters of baptism, they step in with the cross, come on, and they're baptized in Christ and they come up a new creature. But there's a cross to bear that we don't see often in America. Now, Peter faced this challenge when he was in the latter part of his life. Look at me, Luke 22, verse 54. They arrested Jesus and led him to the high priest's home. Peter was following at a distance. The guards lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard. Now, mind you, Peter has done pretty good. He has walked all the way in these last 27 chapters 
He's walked with Christ these last three years. But then verse 56, a little girl noticed him. Now, this is not some big guard with a, with a, with a, a sword or a, she, or a spear. A little girl noticed him in the firelight and began staring at him. And finally, this lady said, this man was one of Jesus' followers. But look at verse 57. Peter now, up to this point, has passed every test. He has passed the test of, of change. He's passed this test of worldliness. But now the test of fear. This man was one of Jesus' disciples. In verse 57, Peter denied it. He said, woman, I don't even know him. Verse 62, he left the courtyard. Well, it didn't stop in verse 62. Prior to that, you know what happened. He was literally three times. He denied Christ one time from the girl, and then somebody else said, you were with him. No, I'm not. And then the third time. And after the third time, his eyes turned, and his eyes caught Jesus, and Jesus looked at him. And just like that, his whole world collapsed because he dropped his cross and he'd walked away from Christ. And then the Bible says he began to weep bitterly. Now, I want to tell you, the cross of fear will make you miss something in the will of God for your life. The cross of fear will stop you. I dare say every one of us has something we struggle with, and it's probably different. One of the things that I have to struggle with fear and anxiety is flying on airplanes. I don't like to do it. My wife, on the other hand, if you were to come up to her today and said, hey, let's go to Rome, my wife would say, do you want to leave Tuesday or Wednesday? Me, on the other hand, I'd break out in a sweat. And I'm just telling you, I'm being honest with you. For some reason, there's a stronghold that tries to control my life. Several years ago, I got an invitation to go to Haiti to do their graduation. And I knew at the phone call, the Holy Spirit was telling me the same thing that jalapeno jar did. I mean, you just, you know, sooner or later, you just know what the voice is. The same voice that told me to leave Mississippi and go to California, that inner impression from God, was the same voice that told me to be generous, was the same voice that told me to go. Now, I can get another jar for four bucks, but how many know getting on an airplane, at least for me, I had to face a fear. And I prayed about it a couple of days and said, I'll go. Now, the cross of, this cross of fear can stop you. Maybe, maybe it works out this way in your life, where you are in your Christian life. Maybe you won't even pray in public and bow your head because you don't want people to laugh at you. I have an 11-year-old. She's in the fifth grade, and she is very conscious of her peers and her friends. And she very much wants people to like her, come on, and not laugh at her. And guess what? I'm 53, and I have the same concerns in my life. How about you? But I'm telling you this, if you're going to live for Christ, there's things that you're going to have to face. There are fears that are trying to stop you. There are things that are trying to intimidate you and shut you down to get the cross off of your shoulder and onto the floor. Can I tell you today, my friend, pick the cross up if you've dropped it. Don't allow fear to stop you because God is bigger than your fears. How many know that? Listen, I got on the airplane and it was great. But, but the fact that it was great was not what's important. The fact is, is that I got on it. And I want to tell you in the name of the Lord, don't let fear intimidate you when God wants you to do something. Don't let it stop you because it's the devil's ploy to wreck your life. Now, how many know the story doesn't stop there? Peter had dropped his cross and he's just kind of gone away. But the coolest thing happened. You know, after the crucifixion, and it was real for Jesus. It was not just some bling that we wear. Jesus suffered an inordinate, a, a terribly painful death on that cross. But you know what he also said after he was going to suffer? He said, I'm coming back. He said, I'm going to rise again. 
And after three days, it was a different day in Jerusalem on Sunday morning. How many know that? How many know the ground was shaking? How many know boulders were flying away? How many know there were lights on that hillside where he was buried? How many know there was something going on in the heavenlies that day because the grave couldn't keep Christ? How many know the power of the cross was greater than the power of death? Well, Jesus is resurrected now, and all the darkness immediately turns to light. But guess what? The brave men are still hiding somewhere in an upper room somewhere. These women, Mary and her pals, have gone down to the, where Jesus was buried. And these brave women and angels said, I want you to go get the disciples, get the followers of Christ. And I want you to tell them, come back, Jesus is alive. And oh, by the way, who do they, who do they specify to get? Go get Peter. Now, I don't know why they said the disciples and Peter. Was Peter kind of excluded? Did he exclude himself? Or was the Lord trying to say, I care very much about Peter, and I'm going to help him pick up his cross again. I'm going to give him another chance. I'm not going to throw him away, but I'm going to redeem him, and I'm going to give him one more shot at this thing. And you know what happened, the story. Jesus went to Peter, and as he is talking to Peter, Peter realizes what's happening because Jesus said, Peter, will you feed my sheep? No, he said, do you love me? And what did Peter say? He looked at that cross that he dropped because he knew exactly what Jesus was talking about. Do you love me more than you, you, you fear the cross of change, the cross of materialism, or the cross of fear was the one that was staggering? And he said, yes, Lord, I do love you. And he began to pick this up, and Jesus said, feed my lambs. And before you know it, he'd said it three times, and Peter was a more humble man than he'd been before, but he put that cross back on his shoulders. And guess what happened about 50 days later? He just kept walking around with that cross day after day, night after night. And it's 50 days, and he shows up in a place called the upper room, and he walks up there with a cross on his shoulder. And all of a sudden, they're praying like they had done for days. And then all of a sudden, they hear this sound. There's a rushing mighty wind that comes in the room. And the same power that raised Christ from the dead was being poured out on these folks there in the day of Pentecost. And as this power was poured out, people begin to gather around. The Holy Spirit begins to fall on them. They begin to speak in these languages they hadn't learned, and they're praising God. And all of a sudden, in the midst of this experience, 3,000 people are gathered outside. Peter has this cross on his shoulder, and he stands up and he said, Listen, men and brethren, and he begins to preach to them about the risen Christ. He said, You crucified Jesus, but God has raised Him from the dead. Come on this morning. You crucified Him, but God caused Him to live again. This same Jesus. Come on. And he began to go and he began to preach from the prophet Joel. And all of a sudden, the hearts of these people are gripped with something. It was the power of the cross that had gripped the hearts of these men and women. And they're saying almost with one voice, what must we do to be saved? So here's this guy that had allowed himself to drop a cross. He picked it up. And as he began to be the preacher on Pentecost, 3,000 people make a step to Christ, and the world has never been the same since. Come on, give the Lord a big hand this morning. And this same question, this same message that Jesus began with in Luke's gospel, if you want to follow me, deny yourself, take up your cross. And let's get going. It's the same thing that Christ is saying to us today. My prayer and my hope is that you are a follower of Jesus. That you don't drop your cross when it gets difficult or hard. But you realize that Christ will help you. And one day, come on, He's going to make it worth all your while. He's worthy of our praise, isn't He? I've never regretted any sacrifice I've made for Christ. It is the cross that has set me free. Come on, give Him one last hand this morning. I wonder, what's the Holy Spirit saying to you now? 
want you to just bow your head with me just a moment. What is the Holy Spirit saying to you? You know, God is not spooky. He's not mystical. He's not weird. But His voice is undeniable. Though I wrestled with the voice in those jalapenos, I knew who was talking to me. Though I didn't want to get on that airplane, I knew who was asking me to go. What is He saying to you? I wonder what kind of Christian life... Oh, first of all, I wonder if you're even living a Christian life. And if you are, what kind is it? Do you just believe the right things? Or are you following Jesus? It's a big difference. Because you'll never be all that God has designed you to be until you say yes to Him. I wonder if you're here today and that cross of change is a difficult one to bear. I wonder if you're here this morning and the cross of materialism, the love of money, the root of all evil. I wonder if it has gripped your heart in an inordinate way. I wonder if the cross of fear keeps you from doing what God would have you to do. If you're like me this morning, you want to say yes to the Lord. That wherever you want me to go, Lord, I'll go. Like Whoopi was singing, I will follow you. Wherever you lead, I'll go. Don't you just slip your hands up to heaven and say, Lord, I want to go, but I need some help getting there. Because it's not easy. It's easy for her to sing about it. It's hard for me to live it. But would you help me? Would you just begin to kind of pray for yourself right now? Would you help me, Lord, that in any way that I've dropped my cross, that I would pick it up? And when I'm tempted in the days ahead to take it off my shoulder, would the Spirit of God give me some special strength so I can keep going? We just, we need your help, Lord. It's easy to sing about it on television, but it's hard to live it in the real world. We just ask you, Lord, to come and help us today. We welcome you. Just say yes to the Lord in your own way. Give him the right to make you into the person he wants you to be. In Jesus' name. Here's how we're going to close our service today. We're going to close with a time of prayer. In just a minute, they're going to sing. They're going to sing a song through one time. And, you know, I want you to just stand. We've got a prayer team that's going to come up here. And we want to offer you an opportunity to have a connection with God. You know, maybe it was the worship that might have touched you today. Maybe it was something that I said in the message that might have gripped you. Maybe it was the video about life. But you still have some needs in your life. you still got some struggles. You still have some desires in your life that you know you need God to help you. And I tell you, friend, there's a power in prayer. There's a power when two people join their faith together, believing God. And we want to offer that to you today, that if you need somebody just to listen just a minute, someone to pray for you, that anything you may need or someone you love and care about, Here's one thing I know. Everybody needs prayer, and I'm at the top of the list. And if you're here today and you need God to help you, in just a minute we sing, I want you to just come and let somebody believe God. Let me ask this question before we pray. I wonder if you happen to be here today, and you don't know if you were to die today if you'd go to heaven or hell. It's a real deal. See, it's a real thing. It's going to happen to everybody one day, because here's what I know. Every person on this planet one day is going to die in this life. And they're going to stand before God and give an account for the next. And here's our problem as people. It's like we're on an island. If you can imagine this stage is an island. And I've got maybe enough food to last me for a few years. But the problem, nobody knows I'm there. I can't get off and there's no hope anybody's going to help me. But there's right over there is the mainland. 
but it's just far enough that I can't jump across it and I can't swim because of all the sharks and the piranhas and I've got a problem. I need a bridge to be able to walk across. Well, that's exactly what Jesus Christ did on the cross 2,000 years ago. He was a bridge between God and man. Man had sinned, all of us. I've sinned, you've sinned, everybody's sinned. And the problem is, I mean, it only takes one sin to make a sinner. And it's the sin of a man or a woman that's what keeps them away from God, keeps them out of this real place called heaven. And it's a problem we'll carry to one day to eternity. They say last year a million people had their home. They lost their homes in bankruptcy because they couldn't make the payment. What would have happened if before the foreclosure agent came, before the bank repossessed the home, if someone out of the blue came up and said, I want to pay your mortgage? Your mortgage could have been $900,000, a hundred. It doesn't matter. You couldn't pay it. But somebody pays it off for you, and they give you a deed that's free and clear. That's exactly the forgiveness that Christ offers us. You see, only He is uniquely qualified to do that because only He lived a perfect, sinless life and satisfied God's requirement for our sins. But you know what you have to do? You can't just kind of keep it in your head. You've got to let it work in your heart. You've got to come to a place in your life like I did on August 15, 1976, where I realized that I had sinned against God and I needed Him. That I didn't just want to kind of keep Him in the back seat. I needed to let Him in the driver's seat of my life. And I prayed a prayer that changed my life forever when I asked Christ to forgive me and I gave Him my life. And I'll promise you, my friends, it was a brand new start I needed and it was a brand new start I got. And I wonder if you're here today and you're in those same shoes. You're here today and you need Christ. Maybe it's the first time you've prayed to receive Christ or maybe you've gotten away from the Lord and today is the day you want to come back. We'd be honored to pray with you. I want you to bow your head just a moment. And I'm going to ask every person in here that that's a Christian, that knows for sure that you're right with God. I want you to pray because there's people here today that, that are not. They're in a spot that need to make a step to the Lord. And I wonder if you're here today and say, Pastor, you're talking to me now. I need to get right with God. I need God's forgiveness. I want that new start. I want that hole patched up in that bottom of the bucket. I don't want to live my life the way I've lived any longer. I want Christ to come and be the Lord and Savior of my life. And I want to do it today. I need prayer. If that's you, would you just lift your hand real quickly? Say, pray for me. I want to get right with God today. Anyone this morning? I want to get right with God this morning. I don't want to walk out of this place the way I came, but I want to know Christ. God bless you. I see your hand here. Somebody else this morning. I want to get right with Christ. God bless you, buddy. I see your hand. Anybody else this morning? Someone else? I see your hand. God bless you. Someone else? I want to get right with God. I don't want to leave this place today the way that I came. I want to make sure that Christ is the Lord of my life. All right, here's how we're going to close. I want you to go ahead and begin to play, Pastor Nick. I want you to look at me just a second. You're going to begin to stand, and then these several people that lifted your hand, I'm going to invite you to come, and someone will pray with you. Make that step to Christ. If you need prayer for anything, you come and let us pray. Go ahead and stand to your feet. Just begin to sing, Pastor. Our worship team is coming now. If you need prayer for anything, you come this morning, and someone will pray with you. Our prayer team is coming right now. They'll meet you here. You can make steps to Christ. You come today, and let us pray for you this morning. Someone's here to meet you. I will follow you.